Merry Christmas, North Rock Hill Church. Christmas was yesterday, and I hope your day was filled with things that will become great photos for the future, great traditions, all the things that make your family happy, your friends happy on Christmas. And I, I hope that's what your house was filled with. Uh, man, I, I don't know about you, but growing up, we had some Christmas traditions, and they've changed over the years. Uh, we stay home now for Christmas. We uh, we love to, to be home as a family. But there was a time when I was young, growing up in Virginia, where one of our traditions was that we would drive to the northern Midwest, to Michigan or to Illinois, to visit my grandparents. Uh, my dad's parents, they lived just outside of Chicago, and my mom's parents lived about three hours north up in Michigan along the lake. And it wasn't uncommon for other relatives to join us there too. And sometimes I knew them, sometimes I didn't. And often they would tell stories about people that maybe I'd heard their names, but I didn't fully know them. Like I'd heard all kinds of stories about Uncle Elroy or Uncle Mac or Aunt Bernice or Uncle Bud up in Alaska. A few of them I got to meet over time, but for most part, for the most part, they're just stories. Um, and I didn't really care a whole lot about it, to be honest with you. As a kid, at the family tree and the lineage of the family just didn't matter to me. I would rather go outside at my grandfather's in Michigan and ride the snowmobile or go ice fishing or go ride bikes with my friends from up the street or play with the neighbor's dog at my other grandparents' house. But as I've grown older, I've grown to really care about the story of our family, how we became who we are, how we got started, where are we from, who are these people who make up our history? There becomes a time when someone in your family, it's usually someone's aunt. Have you ever noticed this? It's an aunt, an aunt, however you pronounce it, uh, that, that, that cares deeply about the family tree. And they begin to research and capture the history of the family. We have a couple of those in our family, and I'm grateful for them. And it's helped a lot to learn the story of our past. It helps us understand a lot about how we got to where we are and where we're going next. In the book of Matthew, uh, we see a story just like that, a family tree that helps us make sense of the rest of the story. In Matthew chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today, we're going to see uh, just this really um, detailed list of names. Many of them are hard to pronounce. Uh, some of them you just tend, sometimes we read that passage and we just tend to want to skip past it. Like, let's just get to the real stuff and get past all these names, but uh, Matthew is, is, is a writer who was writing to a Jewish audience. He's one of the disciples. He's one of four guys who wrote what's now known as the Gospels, these four books of the Bible that are accounts of these men's experience with Jesus and what they saw of Jesus. It's kind of the record of Jesus's life. And so some of the stories are repetitive in the four Gospels, and some of them are unique to the perspective of the writer. And one of the things that's unique to Matthew is that his main purpose is to reveal to the Jewish audience he was writing to that Jesus really was the Messiah. He wanted to convince them of this truth, that their hope was in the Messiah. So it's fascinating to me that the way he starts his book, revealing Jesus as king, revealing Jesus as savior, is through a list of names, a very detailed list of names going all the way back in history, all the way back to the book of Genesis. So his, his story starts with an account of the genealogy of Jesus. Interesting choice as a storyteller, I would say. It must mean something. A guy like Matthew didn't seem to do much that wasn't 
on purpose. And so this has to be a part of the story. It must give us some clues. And so I wonder, like, if we spend a little bit of time here, what would we learn about Christmas? What would we learn about Jesus? And so that's what I really want to do tonight. I want to see that by giving this family tree of Jesus a second glance, paying a little bit of attention, some of the story comes to light. In fact, to me, his name that we've been focusing on, Emmanuel, God with us, it really comes to light. The power of that statement that God came down, that Emmanuel, God with us, is the name of Jesus. Let's read it together. Look at Matthew chapter 1. I think what you're going to see is that in this list of names, Matthew helps make sure that we don't miss it, that Jesus is exactly who was promised, a Savior King, God in human form. Let's, let's read it right now. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book, of the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathon, Mathon the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. What a fascinating way to start an account of the story of Jesus. All the generations, verse 17, from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Matthew chose names from 14 generations at a time in three sets to tell us the story of how Jesus came to be. And that's a lot of names. And I hope I pronounced most of them correctly, but I think it's important to, to tie a bow on this Christmas season. You, you see what I did there, right? Tie a bow on it. Let's make sure we really understand what an amazing thing it was that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was born. There are four big truths that are made clear from this family history, and I want to make sure that we get these today. First is this. It's simply that Jesus is king. That's the theme of Matthew's book. He was revealing to us that Jesus is the promised king, the Messiah. Did you see how Matthew introduced him? It's fascinating. He introduced him as the son of David. One of King David's 
greatest desires in history had been that he, re, he would rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God responds to that desire of David by telling him it won't be you that builds it. It'll be your son, Solomon. And then he, he goes on to reassure David that he had an even greater legacy in mind for him. There would be his lineage, his kingship would continue for all time. There would be a great ruler that would be risen up to establish the, the lineage of David on the throne of the kingdom of God forever. And that's exactly what Isaiah was pointing to when he prophesied of Jesus coming to earth in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. You've probably heard these verses. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. See, Matthew wanted there to be no doubt that this little baby in the manger, the story he's going to tell after this list of names, was the king. The king that had been promised to David. Not just any king, the king. See, this family history, this, this family tree, it's full of uh, all kind of names of kings. Like many of the lists, uh, many of the names in this list are, are kings. And, and most of them, they're not even good kings. Some of them were responsible for the fall of Jerusalem. Some of them were responsible for the deportation of the people of Israel out of their own country into the captivity of the nation of Babylon. Even David wasn't a perfect king. He had made many mistakes. One reminder of this is in the list as well. I don't know if you caught it, but there was a phrase in there that said, the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. The only reason she's even in this list is because of a heinous act committed by David, murder and adultery. Why is she in there? She's, she's here by bad circumstances. The kings, they're not even good kings. David, a flawed man. Why would Matthew go to such lengths to show us the flaws of people and the errors of history, the sins of man in this list? See, this king... He would be the king that would deal with all that. He'd be the king that Isaiah had pointed to, the one who would bring an increase of peace, not an increase of calamity. The one whose throne would extend forever. There'd be no more transitions, no more, no more changeovers, not in this king's reign, because Jesus isn't just king. He's also savior. See, that's the second thing this list shows us clearly is that he's king, but he's also savior. It shows us that Israel is not going to be saved because of their righteousness. These kings aren't part of this lineage because of their righteousness and their good deeds. Not even David or Abraham could stand up to that kind of test. In fact, they were going to be saved, and so are we, despite our own sinfulness. It's a different kind of story than they thought was being written all along. This list is filled with names of flawed men, flawed women, kings who failed morally, kings who failed royally, kings who lost on the battlefield, were defeated violently. This, key, this list even has the names of women, all representative of the need for a savior. Let's talk about the women. See, 
Tamar was in that list. She was a victim. She was treated very poorly by Judah and his family. She committed a, a, a she made some decisions that were immoral to follow that. Think about Rahab. She was a prostitute left by her mother to poor circumstances to end up having to make poor decisions. Mary was an unwed mother. And we already talked about Bathsheba. These people are, 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 are immoral by standard. They're flawed very much. Their stories were known. Their stories are documented in Scripture. Some of them were even from Gentile nations. Ruth is in this list as well. Ruth was a good woman, but she was a Moabite. The Moabites were known for sexual promiscuity and, and were a people that were not even allowed in any Jewish assembly because they were considered unclean, unrighteous. Why are these names there? I think it's because salvation wasn't coming from righteousness. It wasn't coming from ethnicity. It wasn't coming from some nationalistic belonging. Instead, it would be for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, despite the choices we have made and despite the things that others have done to us. In fact, that might be a very comforting thought for you this Christmas. See, sometimes families gather, sometimes friends gather, and it reminds us of things that have been done to us that weren't even our fault. Things that we've done that we wish were different. And here we see that Christmas celebrates a salvation that comes to us from a kingly savior that saves us in spite of those things. We don't have to be good enough. Not even David was good enough. We don't have to be uh, enough. Abraham wasn't even enough. But look at this. This Jesus had come. Matthew's showing us in, in this lineage that he had come to fulfill the promise that one from the line of David would establish the throne of God forever. He's also fulfilling a promise made to Abraham. Did you catch it in verse 1? He's the son of David, son of Abraham. God had promised Abraham way back in the book of Genesis that through his line, through his lineage, his family, that God would multiply a people for himself. That Jesus... Jesus is the method of accomplishing that promise. That's the point of Matthew's lineage. He's going to be the method that God uses to bless all people through the line of Abraham. This means no one is too far gone for Jesus. No one is above need for Jesus. No one is from the wrong place. No one has a story that puts them out of reach. Jesus is the great equalizer. No one is outside the sovereign grace of God. See, sovereign God has woven together a story that transcends history from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, ongoing today. This lineage is still being built. This, this lineage has literally changed history. God has woven together a story that had this baby born just like Isaiah had said. A Savior King. In Him, the promises of God will be fulfilled. In him, the grand arc, the grand storyline of Scripture is completed. See, God saves us by his sovereign grace, and that's on display through this lineage that Matthew displays. These aren't the best of the best. Some of these are the worst of the worst. The flaws of mankind are on display in this list, but he also has on display in this list the global purposes of salvation, the global purposes of the gospel that God is accumulating for himself a people in his image from all nations. This isn't exclusive to the Jews, but through the Jews, through this this gift of the Savior, he would bless all nations. 
It's beautiful. It outreaches how we usually think about it. See, this, this Christmas has been fun, right? I mean, think about what happened yesterday. The last couple of days, the gifts are open. Leftovers are in the fridge. Some of you have family. You have so much family here, so many friends here, that you're having Christmas again today. Families are gathering, have gathered, are celebrating, have celebrated. But listen, that's not all there is. See, if you read forward through the rest of the book of Matthew, you find three distinct groups. It's not just about the families who gather. It's, it's about how we respond to the story that we're supposedly celebrating. See, Jesus comes on the scene and immediately these groups begin to form. Over the course of his life, they, they only become more and more prevalent. There's the religious leaders that form and their role is they deny Jesus all the way. All the way to the end, they deny, they try to entrap him, they reject him. There's a second group, they're the crowds, they're a little better. They follow, they celebrate Jesus, just as long as he gives them what they want. As long as he keeps them entertained. But ultimately, they'll walk away from him too. Then there's this third group. It's a small group of disciples who truly follow him. They continually are moving towards him. Throughout the story, you see that in moving towards him, they're being changed by him. Ultimately, they're living on mission with him. Ultimately, he leaves the mission with them as he ascends into heaven. And as we finish up this Christmas season and we head into New Year, uh, we begin to change gears and start doing some assessment. What needs to be different next year than this year? As we move from celebration to restarting the calendar, I wonder, which group will we be? Like, what if this Christmas we really leaned into the truth of Jesus and what that baby meant, and we just decided, what group are we going to be in? Will we blatantly reject him like the leaders? Will we casually observe him, acknowledging him, kind of fans of him, familiar with him, but in a way that's really more about us and what he could do for us than it is about him and who he is? Will we continue to be merely associated with Jesus, doing some good things around good people on good days of the week? Doing a little bit, little bit better than we used to, but not really giving him our lives? I don't think that's the Jesus that's worthy of being celebrated, is it? What if this year, this time, we finally decide that our lives will be marked by moving toward him like those disciples did? That we look less like the bigger groups who rejected or walked away and looked more like the small group who stuck it out and stayed with him. What if, what if this was the year that we continually moved towards him and in doing so we realized that we're being changed by him and in, in being changed by him we realized that our lives matter for more than just us and more than just what's around us and more than just accumulation or holiday to holiday, mile marker to mile marker, that our, our lives truly counted for eternity to do work that matters. You see, I think this family tree at the beginning of Matthew tells us a story. And I think it's a story that shows us we all need a Savior King. And yesterday, we celebrated the one that is just that, the Savior King. Matthew 1, verse 18, he begins to tell the story. Look at it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the story, the history, the point of scripture, all of it pointing to Jesus. And he came down with us to give us a visible representation of what it looks like to see him, to know him, to follow him. And Matthew is making sure that we don't miss. He's king, he's savior, he's here. And guess what, he's coming back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that this Christmas season would not have been merely another tradition, not just a story or a dinner. I pray that this Christmas season, the power of your name, Emmanuel, God with us would resonate in our hearts, that you would draw us to greater belief and greater conviction and greater commitment to follow you as King. Father, give us a compulsion to move toward Jesus. Change us and may we take up your mission as our own. God, may the story of Christmas draw someone watching to confess their need for you, that they may follow you too. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, North Rock Hill, and Happy New Year.